Friends, Easter is here. Our journey toward this day of celebration and some woos began seven weeks ago. We put ashes on our foreheads and acknowledged our mortality. And then we walked together through Lent, seeking God through our questions. We broke bread. We washed one another's feet. We mourned together on Good Friday and what seemed like far too many other days. At times, it seemed like Easter might never come, that Lent and all its darkness would last forever. But Easter is here. Today, we join with siblings around the world in declaring that Christ is risen. We join with siblings around the world in declaring that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In Christ, everything today is now becoming new. But our story for today takes us back to a time before all the fanfare and celebration. In John's Gospel, Easter begins in the dark. The risen body of Jesus raises more questions than answers. The story begins rather simply. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, a close friend and follower of Jesus, comes to the tomb where he has been buried. We are not told why she comes, but with a little context, we quickly understand. So think back just one week. Can't believe that it was just one week, but one week ago was Palm Sunday. Jesus entered Jerusalem with the crowds ready to crown him as their king. The kingdom of God that Jesus so often spoke of was supposed to be in full bloom. And yet, a week later, the king was dead. His followers scattered and his kingdom was nowhere to be seen. Mary's entire paradigm for her future had been swiftly and violently rewritten in just a matter of days. Death is more absolute than anything else in this world. And when it comes, there will always be a part of us that cannot quite believe it because there is no human experience that can fully prepare us for it. And this is why funeral practices are so important, because we need rituals to help metabolize the reality of death in our bodies. But Mary didn't get those rituals. She didn't get to bury Jesus. His body was taken from the cross and buried by two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. So Mary comes to the tomb early in the morning while it is still dark because she needs closure. She comes to mourn the loss of her teacher and her friend. But when Mary arrives at the tomb, Jesus' death becomes the least of her worries. 
because then she sees that the stone in front of Jesus' tomb has been removed. And she doesn't even need to look inside because she knows that the body is gone. The linens, spices, and oils used to wrap dead bodies at this time were very valuable. Grave robbery was common enough that the Roman emperor issued a decree against it. The mere act of unsealing a tomb, let alone disturbing the bodies within, was punishable by death. But Jesus' body was buried with nearly 100 pounds of spices and oils. So his tomb would have been a treasure trove. And fearing the worst, Mary runs to two of Jesus' closest disciples, Peter and the so-called beloved disciple, who is never named in the gospel, but is traditionally identified as John. And together, they race, literally, back to the tomb. And John wins this race. And this is a side note, but it's one of my favorite details of all of the resurrection accounts, um, that there's this little foot race between Peter and John, and John wins. Andrea, one of the grad students here at Press House, often says that you'll never find better proof that the Gospels were written by men than the fact that the results of a foot race are included in this story. So when they arrive, they enter the tomb and discover, to everyone's surprise, that the prized burial cloths are still there. And not only are they there, but they're neatly folded in two piles. This is no simple grave robbery. Something else is going on. Now, one might think that this would be the moment when they start to consider the possibility that Jesus has been raised from the dead. After all, he told them that this would happen several times. And yet, despite the evidence right in front of their eyes, none of them are able to connect all of the dots. Death and loss do that to us. They are disruptions whose ripples can distort even the most sure and certain things in our lives. As humans, we already have finite vision. We are rarely able to see the full picture. Death and loss make that even harder. And so strangely, I find comfort in the fact that even those who walked with Jesus didn't get it at this moment. I have had more than one season in my life where I have been overwhelmed by grief or anger or even just busyness, and I've lost the thread. The bigness of whatever is in front of me keeps me from remembering what Jesus said about how I should live. But thankfully, the story of Easter reminds us that when we lose the thread, when we forget, not even death can stop Jesus from showing up and calling our name. So after looking into the tomb, Peter and John leave. 
Maybe they had another foot race back to their house. But Mary stays. And this time, she looks into the tomb. As she looks inside, she sees that the burial cloths have been replaced with two angels dressed in white. And these messengers ask Mary why she is weeping. And yet, even now, as she stands before two divine beings, Mary still cannot connect the dots. She is still convinced that someone has taken the body of Jesus, and her only concern is finding it so that she can return it to its proper place. Resurrection is not on her mind, even though it is practically in front of her face. And then she turns around, and Jesus is there. And now, resurrection is literally in front of her face. But there is something mysterious about the body of the risen Jesus. He has a tendency to do things like suddenly appearing in rooms despite all the doors being closed and then disappearing just as quickly. And for some reason, you only have like a 50-50 chance of actually recognizing him when you do see him. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to why some people do and some people don't. It just is. And Mary happens to be one of those who don't. And Jesus, in the Gospel of John, is never one to quickly resolve someone's confusion. And so when she fails to recognize him, instead of immediately saying, Mary, it's me, he asks, who are you looking for? And notice that Mary does not actually answer. She assumes that he is the gardener and asks for the body once again. But this request is in itself an answer of sorts. Mary is looking for Jesus, but she's looking for a dead Jesus. She's ready to close the book on the dream of God's kingdom, and she is looking for a Jesus that will let her do that. She is looking for a body to bury along with her hope. And at that moment, Jesus calls her name. Mary. I wish for all worlds that we could have been there to hear the way Jesus said Mary's name. Because it was enough to cut through all of the grief and pain in her heart and awaken her to the hope that she thought was dead and gone. Instantly, she knew who he was. And reading between the lines a bit, we can imagine that she leapt onto him and hugged him tightly like a little kid jumping on their parent who's just returned from a long trip and refuses to let go. In fact, the first thing Jesus says after she jumps onto him is basically, let go of me, you are squeezing me too hard. In this moment, an unexpected and loving reunion in a garden capped with a shameless embrace 
It's one that I want to remember. Easter is often filled with images of a transcendent and powerful and triumphant Jesus. And to be clear, I'm not opposed to those images. I think that we need them. But right now, I think many of us need the Jesus of this story too. The Jesus who rises from the grave and then patiently waits for us, tenderly calls our name, and reminds us that he is, in fact, alive. And friends, hear this good news. Ever since that day, Ever since this first Easter, Jesus has not stopped waiting for us. He has not stopped calling our name. We need only learn to listen. I am learning that Jesus calls my name in many ways. Through the companionship of a loved one who simply shows up, through a song that gives voice to the unspoken prayers in my heart through a breeze that takes my breath away, through the taste of bread and wine at the table, and even sometimes through a still, small voice. Jesus has called my name in so many ways, and I wonder how he might be calling yours today. And one final note as I close. After Jesus calls Mary's name, he says one more thing to her. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now setting aside the way the NRSV translates this verse in a way that ignores the women who were among Jesus' disciples, I want us to notice that Jesus not only calls Mary's name, but he also calls her to bear witness. So Mary is, in a very real sense, the first apostle of the resurrection. She is the first person the risen Jesus commissions to tell others what she has seen and heard. And as a woman, Mary's testimony would have been heard with no small amount of skepticism. But that did not stop Jesus from calling her. And nor do the stigmas, biases, and power structures of our world stop Jesus from calling and sending us today. The risen Jesus is calling all of our names. Not just to remind us that he is risen, but also so that we can go out into the world and bear witness just as Mary did. And the good news we are called to share is the good news that we have seen. So friends, you have a story to tell. You, too, are an apostle of the resurrection not sent to coerce or convert, but simply to tell the story of what you have seen. And so today, as we celebrate the good news of Easter,
May we listen for Jesus calling our name. And may we embrace the invitation to follow Mary in going out to tell the world that I have seen 